The following is intended for mature audiences only. Welcome to Altitude Adjustment. Good afternoon, I'm Leon Davis, and welcome to Altitude Adjustment, uh, the once-a-week podcast about people, politics, and professions. Used to be twice a week. I'm going to try to work back up towards that, but right now it's once a week. Appreciate you joining me today. Uh, today we're going to talk. I want to talk a little bit about negotiations. Um, if you are watching live, you most certainly can type in your comments. Uh, I have the um, chat features available, so I will try to answer any questions that may come up. We'll see how that goes. Uh, I want, again, I want to thank you for joining me. It it. So this past week, uh, I ran across a video that I, that really is what inspired me to talk about this show. Um, negotiations are something that we all do in life every day. So if you are um, in a space with another individual, there are negotiations going on. You're walking down the street. There are three people coming your way. They're spread across the sidewalk. There is a negotiation that happens between the four of you or whoever is all there about how to get down the street with, with the least amount of friction. Um, you don't think of it as a negotiation necessarily because uh, you expect certain behaviors to be innate or, or to, to be understood. So um, you want to come this way, I want to go that way. We have to make room for each other. And so that should be simple, but there is actually a negotiation going on there um, because the people necessarily don't have to make a way for you and then try to force you uh, to accommodate them. But again, that's all a part of the negotiation. Let's say you're in a grocery store. Um, you're... Uh, standing, you're you're coming down an aisle that you want to to shop at, and there's a person in the middle of the aisle has their cart in the middle of the aisle, looking at um, one of the sides or one you know one of the items. There becomes a negotiation on how to maneuver that situation so that everyone so to resolve the situation so that both people can get things done. So negotiations are a part of everyday life. Uh, and so I say, always be prepared to negotiate. Negotiations are a part of what we do. We don't tend to teach negotiation skills as uh, a part of um, our school curriculums or uh, just being a a just being a. Uh, Okay, wait a minute. Got something coming up here and Okay. I don't know what the deal is here. So I'm having some dropped frames, uh, and that seems unusual. But we will I will soldier on here, see how things are going. Maybe it's a uh, it's a memory issue, and I will try to close some of these windows here. So anyway, uh, negotiating is, is definitely a part of everything that we do, uh, what we do on a regular basis. And so good negotiating skills are important. Um, as I said, there was a video that I watched this week, which uh, everything looks fine. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Uh so everything, uh, so so negotiating is a part of what we need to do and what what we need to do. Watching this video made me realize how little negotiations, how little we really understand about negotiations as a society. So, uh, so let me first say I ran across this article from. Um, Harvard. This is a, a Harvard article, article 
And the article is about 10 hard bargaining tactics to watch out for in a negotiation. So what we tend to think is that everyone that we encounter is going to be reasonable to some degree. That we can, if we use intelligent language, if we talk to them in a certain way, that we should at least be able to come to some kind of an agreement that both of us can either uh, live with temporarily or it, it is a solution. Now, what I have learned in my years is that, that that is not always true. There are people who have no intent on negotiating with you in any kind of good faith. So, so what is a good faith negotiation? Does a good faith negotiation mean that, that another person takes into consideration your point of view when making their point of view? We'd like to think that, but not everyone sees the world as we see the world. We see the world, some, and, and because I don't know who's listening, uh, some people see the world as we will get together and resolve issues. Because usually a negotiation is about resolving something that has come up that could potentially or is a conflict. And that we're, we're going to get together and attempt to resolve this to the satisfaction or at least the acceptable um, range of both parties or all parties involved. When, when you encounter someone that's hard bargaining, they're using hard bargaining tactics, they may not be trying to reach a settlement as much as they are trying to get you to um, get up, come up off of your bargaining position and um, they're not trying to reach a settlement that's mutually beneficial, but it's only beneficial to them. They, they have no interest in your satisfaction at the end of the negotiation. Um, and so they, those people tend to use hard bargaining tactics. Um, there were a couple of, uh, of, of hard bargaining tactics and, and I'm aware of a lot of these, but some of them were, were, um, new to me, uh, the good cop, bad cop. Now as a, as a bargaining, uh, method, I, I was not aware of good cop, bad cop in just traditional negotiations. Yes. Uh, in a in a situation where um, you are dealing with more than um, one entity, one side could play good cop, one side could play bad. in a in a, a three away or more negotiation. One team could play a good cop or become good cop, and the other not, or even on the same um, on the side of their table. Uh, one person can play good cop, the other person can play bad cop. And I, I hadn't thought about that. Um, but but in the scope of, we're talking about uh, gun legislation. Um, and, and I'm using that word sp specifically, gun legislation, not in not using gun control because Every, as I said, everything is a negotiation. My videos can be used as a form or used as a tool in any negotiation. They can say that I'm taking a position that um, because of something that they've seen or heard in my video, that a position that I may not necessarily hold. So I, I, I try to be conscious of the things that I say because the idea is communication is exceptionally important. And the words that you use uh, are important in how you express yourself. It is how people are going to understand you. And that's, that's extremely important. Um, so some of the 
tactics that I have ran across in this article are tactics that I see used in the negotiating process or the when we talk about um, gun legislation. So there's the belittling of alternatives. That happens. That tends to happen on both sides of the issue. Um, there is a belittling. So, so because, and, and there are multiple reasons why that could possibly be. And one of the things that, um, that I believe to be true is many times when we disagree with someone, um, we may make a, you know, a statement that we believe to be true. And the other person may respond. And then because, because their idea is different, because we believe so much that our ideology is the, is the right one, we think that the other person is disingenuous and that they don't really believe what they're saying. They're just saying it to be obstinate or to push back against me. And I'm going to go into that a little bit more in detail. I've got a, a little bit of vid video to kind of help bring out that issue. But belittling is one of those um, um, negotiating tactics that is intended to suppress rather than to achieve mutual satisfaction or to, to achieve something that uh, both teams can live with. It is more about um, eliminating your options in the negotiation process. Uh, also, another um, tactic threats and warnings, um, bullying, um, bluffing, uh, puffing, and lying. You know, and, and I want you to kind of look at these and say, do you see these kinds of things happening in the negotiation process about gun legislation? Now, keep in mind, um, the, the conversation and negotiation about gun legislation happens more than just in Congress. It happens on television. It happens on streaming. Um, you know, this podcast, streaming, uh, I'm streaming my thoughts and the, is a part of the negotiation process. It's a part of building uh, consensus about ideas and, and people being able to use that to craft um, compromises to solve what we think is a problem. Um, using personal insults uh, is another form of um, uh, hard bargaining tactics. Um, doing things to try to make you flinch, make you um, lose your cool. Um, and I, and I, I commented on this prior that when uh, MSNBC and CBS and CNN would have these panels where um, they would have two sides, so to speak. They would have uh, liberals and then they would have um, Trump supporters on and invariably there would come this statement out of the clear blue that just seemed completely crazy. And it would start a flare up and there would be yelling at each other and finger pointing and name calling. And, and those are hard bargaining tactics. Um, There are uh, take it or leave it negotiation tactics, strategies. You know, these are all meant to be hard bargaining and to, are they, are they fair as a part of negotiating strategies? Um, whether they're fair or not, they're employed. And many times people think, um, that you're not negotiating in good faith if 
you're not trying to be fair. And so uh, one of the things that I wanted to point out is you really need to understand the person or persons that you're negotiating with um, because that will give you an idea of how to negotiate with that person. If, you're, if your approach on, on negotiation is, I'm going to go in and everything's going to be fair, you're going to be in for a rude awakening in some a rude awakening in some instances because fair to you is not always what's fair to someone else and so that becomes a, an important issue um and that becomes an important issue your mindset about how to deal with someone in a negotiation becomes important. And, and so I want to start with, I'm going to uh, get into this video with this, with this young lady. So I'm going to introduce her. I'm going to let her introduce herself, actually. My, my name, name is Amy Swearer, and I'm a legal fellow at the Heritage, Heritage Foundation, where my scholarship focuses on the Second Amendment and gun violence prevention. I have testified before various legislatures after several mass shootings, Parkland, Virginia Beach, El Paso, and unfortunately, too many others. Okay. So, this is a congressional hearing, and she's testifying. This is all still a part of negotiating um, because she's presenting herself in a public forum about a topic that's going to be debated and voted upon by the people. So that's all a part of the negotiation process. And so you have to see it as a part of the negotiation process. It is more than just a person putting forth their opinion or their idea it becomes about how do we reach people who we fundamentally may disagree with. So the Heritage Foundation is a conservative think tank and they, they get involved in politics. Okay. Um, when you fundamentally disagree with someone, so a part of being able to communicate, to um, negotiate well, part of negotiating well is being able to um, somehow connect with or to um, see the sincerity or the insincerity in the person that you're across the table from. That becomes extremely difficult if, if you aren't open to that idea. So a, a lot of times what we do in a negotiation is we believe that we know what's right or that we know what we want. And we get into the negotiation and um, we believe that the other person is also looking for the same thing. But in a lot of cases, they are not. But if you don't know that, then you're going to be negotiating. Your negotiation tactics aren't going to be more effective because you're not going to be addressing the issues that the other person has. So, so let me, um, let me go to the second video, um, and share a little bit more. I cannot even begin to imagine what those families are going through right now. Everybody with a soul has it shattered over acts like this. And we have seen it shattered every single time from Columbine to Parkland to Uvalde. We did not somehow, this, this didn't get easier 
for us. This, we did not grow numb somewhere along the way to the reality of this. It's not as though our family members don't also teach fourth graders, or we don't also send our kids to school. It's not as though we don't also shop in grocery stores or go to country music festivals or work in hospitals. As though we don't also feel the tremendous, horrible weight of these tragedies somewhere deep inside of our souls, because we do. No, oh, thanks. <laughs> I, I forgot about the um, microphone again. I'm trying to try something a little different. Thanks very much. I'm glad you're there today because uh, I'd, I'd have been gone. <laughs> so so anyway, um, there are people who are going to believe that she was disingenuous because she advocates for... Um, gun owners over changes to gun laws that some people believe are going to protect um, children, school children, and things like that. She spoke and, and uh, she seemed to be, if you took her at her word, she seemed to be truly concerned, and yet her actions don't seem to reflect that. So if she was really concerned about kids as she, she sounded like if she was really as concerned with kids, she would do more things to protect them and allow certain gun law legislation to go into place. Here's the problem with that. Okay. Her priorities are not your priorities. While she may be, um, impacted or she may feel something about children being killed. That is not her main priority. That is not the fight that she's fighting. And so if you're negotiating with her and which is what we are doing and you keep bringing up children, you're not going to have the impact that you want because your children's deaths aren't her main priority. Her main priority is gun legislation in the country because she believes individual gun owners rights should be protected over children in schools. You may think that that is horrible. You may think that that is the worst thing that, that she doesn't care about children. It's not that she doesn't care about children. She just cares more about those rights. Now, if you go into name calling, if you go into, um, if you go into uh, treating her as uh, less than or unintelligent, she is not an unintelligent person. She understands. It's just that she does not have the same priorities as you. If you understand that, then you can address her priorities or you can at least try to find out what her priorities are. But if you believe that she is not honest with her, with her um, emotion, if she's not 
you know, her word doesn't mean anything, then you're going to continue to address her in ways that is not going to connect with her. And so part of the negotiation process is understanding your blind spots. If you have a blind spot about understanding what her priorities are, you are not going to be able to make an effective negotiation with her. So as you continue to trot out children, it is not going to be effective because that is not her major concern. And so, and so as I watch the process, I see over and over and over, they're making children the center of the discussion. I get it is the center of your discussion, but it, we, you have to be, I think you have to be, if you want effective to be effective and you want to make change happen, you do have to be inclusive. You do have to understand the things that you don't want to understand. You, you do have to, this is a country made up of 300,000 people, 300 million people, 300,000, 300 million people. And you're, we're not going to see eye to eye on everything. In fact, there are going to be a lot of things that we're not going to see eye to eye on. And there are going to be varying degrees of change in ideologies. The more inflexible you are, the less inclusive you can be. You and I, we may know that children are the future. We understand that that's true. That mankind only survives by procreation. And that children are the survival of, of our race, of, of, of mankind on earth. And so you may put that at the top of the list. But that doesn't mean that somebody else is going to put that at the top of their list. Because for whatever reason, there may, there may be a number of reasons. There may be fear. There may be... Um, distrust their top of the list right now is not children when you recognize that you are then at that point become more effective at negotiating because finding the middle ground or finding the ground where the conversation can begin begins with understanding where the conversation can be had. She's telling you, I hate that all kids get shot. I hate that, you know, gun shootings happen. Um, but, and if you react in a, way to demean or in any way um, re try to put down her point of view, it will seem to her that you are using hard negotiating tactics. You have to see, to be more effective as a negotiator, you have to see what the other person, how the other person views you. You have to see more than just how you see them. And, and what I see a lot of in our negotiations is how I see them from both sides. There's more than both sides, but unfortunately, if I want to have the conversation and for people to understand, I have to use those terms, both sides, because most people believe that there's both sides. I believe that there's a spectrum. There's a spectrum of sides. Um, and at some level, at some point, you know, people will start to break from 
what is considered right and what is considered left. Uh, we don't we don't try to talk about there being a middle because we say there isn't one. There is one. It's just not as vocal right now. But don't. But by believing that it's not there, you could make missteps in, as far as that goes. So I've got one more video from her. So one of the things that I see people, I see happening as far as the negotiations goes is people calling out other people because they used facts that either are dubious facts or, or can be refuted. Now, the difficulty is if you can't establish a common set of facts, it will be difficult to have a conversation and um, find a, a mutually amicable solution, even on the short term, because if they don't accept what you believe is a fact and you don't accept what they see as a fact, you have no place to, you, there is no place there that you are going to um, be together on and, and with, at, at finding a point where you can agree on something. So you have to be able to find agreement in some places in order for those things to happen. I'm going to play this, this, this video real quick and then, and then I'm going to talk on the other side of it. Semi-automatic rifles are the type of firearm least often used to commit acts of gun violence. Pistol grips and barrel shrouds don't make them any more or less deadly in the context of mass shootings. While these, while these features can and do make a difference in the context of lawful self-defense for civilians, which is why millions of peaceable Americans own them. Standard capacity magazines are commonly possessed by law-abiding citizens for lawful purposes. The few rigorous studies on their prohibition have found that the evidence for their success at lowering rates of gun violence is inconclusive at best. The context in which mass public shootings occur renders magazine limits effectively useless at saving lives. There we go. <laughs> okay. Uh, I have to get used to that. I got, I got it. I got it. <laughs> All righty. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you change, change the procedures, um, uh, I've changed the procedures. So I've had to kind of remember some of these things. Um, I have to turn the microphone off when I play a video or you, it gets an echo. Um, and so I, I remember to turn it off, but then in my mind, I'm already, you know, going to what, what do I say next? What do I say next? And then it takes a moment before I recognize that, the, that I didn't turn the microphone back on. So I apologize. Uh, it, it's going to take me, uh, again, I've moved to a different platform. I'm doing things a little bit differently and it's going to take me a little bit of an adjustment um, to make all of that work. So I do appreciate, um, you know, any kind of a patience that you provide, you know, with me for that. Uh, I will go back and edit out the silences, but I will not go back and edit any of the content. So on the, on the, um, uh, 
on YouTube, uh, eventually the silences will go away. Um, but but I won't edit out any of the the content. So whatever comment that I made um, will be made. So um, so one of the the things that she said at the end was magazine size does not have an impact on casualties. It may seem that that is a completely contradictory statement. I didn't see her report that she mentioned that she talked about at the beginning. So I don't know how she's meaning that. So I can't, so, so in my mind, that seems contra contrary to any logical reasoning. If I have more bullets and, and I have to reload, reload less, I can kill faster more, kill more faster, right? I break, I, I've got, um, uh, I've got a, a pistol that's got nine shots in the clip. I break out, I start shooting. People start scrambling. I can hit nine people before I have to reload or change weapon. If I've got a clip of 15, I can, I can shoot 15 people or I can release 15 bullets in a faster period of time before I have to reload or, or change weapons. So she may be looking at, and I, I don't know, and I'm just guessing, she may be looking at what has traditionally occurred. If traditionally a person goes in and shoots, goes into a situation, and shoots nine of uh, five people. There may have only been six people at that point that he fired. Then he, he reloads the weapon. So he reloads the weapon, uh, or you know, moves to another area and starts shooting again. If you look at that and say clip size one doesn't matter, that's reasonable. Crazy. I'm sorry, not crazy. Reasonable, but there is a problem with that logic. So um, I don't know. I, I would like to know more about her presentation, her per her paper that she wrote um, to understand more the logic of it. One of the other things that she mentioned was uh, bump stocks and grips that, that private owners would benefit more from it and that it would not be effective at stopping, you know, stopping mass shooters. Again, the logic here for me is guns aren't aren't unique. Every gun is you pull the trigger and it fires around. It does not change because you are a mass shooter or a private owner, a good guy with a gun or a bad guy with a gun. You pull the trigger, a bullet fires, and it has the potential to hit a target. Now, anything that makes a gun better for a private individual has to make it better for um, a mass shooter. And her comment was that, that that's not the case. Again, before I can say she's right or wrong, or before I can challenge that, I would like to see 
So I guess I am challenging that in the sense that I'm asking the question. I'm not accepting it. But I'm not saying it's completely crazy. I'm saying logically it that does not that does not seem to have a lot of foundation in reason and logic. It just does not have seem to have that kind of a foundation. Um, she mentioned uh, semi-automatic weapons not being used, and so they shouldn't they shouldn't be regulated. But the whole idea is to eliminate mass shootings, to eliminate weapons that can, not because they have or have not been used, but because they can be used. And the reason, the logic behind that is, if you take away, if you take away knives, somebody that wants to do harm will use sticks and stones. So in other words, just because, just because you've eliminated one option doesn't mean that they won't move to another option. So we have, I don't know how many types of guns. I'm not a gun owner. I don't do, do guns. Uh, I don't do guns. Uh, and I'm going to get to your comment in a moment, uh, Warren. Um, I, I don't do guns. So, so there's an, that aspect of it that that I don't have or that I don't uh, have as a, um, what do I want to say, an expertise or an expertise in. Um, but, but logic is one of the things that I think I am fairly decent at. Um, and so if you have a, 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 a weapon that can um, produce a higher number of of uh, rounds in a short period of time. That is a weapon of mass destruction, and whether it has or has not been used in a mass shooting does not become the issue. If you're trying to eliminate mass shootings, then you have to eliminate the potential for it to move from one type of weapon to another type of weapon to do the exact same thing, which is what you would expect someone to do if they want to cause mass casualties. If you take away one option and they still have another option for mass casualties, they will use that. So, so Warren says, uh, I guess I can use just his name here. <laughs> If cops are afraid to encounter the shooter, what does that say? And and I'm sure he, what he means is, or let me say, I won't say I'm sure. I believe what he means is uh, you've got these, these weapons um, and we've had, we've seen instances where police officers were not quick to encounter someone that they knew had a high powered um multi-bullet multi weapon. And so um, and so I understand and so how does that enter into the conversation about negotiations is um, just that action alone says that we are creating a, an environment that even the people who are tasked with saving us, tasked with protecting us, are outnumbered, outgunned. And if we don't take into consideration that, then how do we find uh, ways to eliminate mass shootings? How do we find ways to protect against mass shootings? Do we, if we don't take a proactive approach, then, um, then, then the possibility of things happening escalates. It, it increases because we're not taking a proactive approach. We're taking a reactive approach. A reactive approach is it has happened. What do we do now? 
Um, as I mentioned earlier, part of the conversation, part of the negotiation process is streaming service or, you know, streaming people streaming um, their content and they cover these topics. I try to listen to as many different viewpoints as I, as I can. It is, it is a challenge, but it is something that if you are serious about doing things in your, in your community, you have to do. That's, that's not an option. It's really not. Um, and so as a part of that, I've listened to, and, and I, I like to pick on people. I don't like to pick on people that, you know, that haven't, that just have a couple of thousand or a couple of hundred thousand um, followers. I, I, I want to pick on people who are big enough to take a punch and roll with it. Because it's not about eliminating people's voices. It's about challenging the voices that are the most heard to ensure that they're doing the best job. So uh, TYT, the Young Turks, and uh, Crystal and Sagar um, are two of the um, many people that I listen to. And what I find myself doing is, is, is critiquing how, the words that they use and how that would play against some, the people that they're speaking. So they're both progressives and they speak in a progressive voice and they're, they're, they tend to be dismissive. They tend to be condescending and they tend to do what I think the, the big networks do is absolutism. I know, and the things that I'm telling you are the absolute truth. You know, I've got it from the horse's mouth, that kind of stuff. And, and I can understand the tendency to want to do that. And so, and so, I'm hoping that, that, you know, I leave them comments. Uh, I, when I run across their site and, and I watch a video and it says, and they, they say things that I think, you know, are, are condescending. Stop. Don't be condescending. Make your point, make your counterpoint and consider that the other side while you disagree with them, they have a point. You don't have to agree with it or even like it. But to be condescending of it makes them more defensive and makes them settle into their ideology more. And it hurts the negotiation process overall. So we all have to be a part of the solution. Just because we seem to be, because we're watching a video, that that seems passive. <clears throat> if you're watching videos of people that are being condescending and you're raising their profile, it is making the conversation more difficult. And so vote with your, with your eyes, vote with your ears, um, Vote with your words, you know, tell them while you may like, you know, them pounding on um, Marjorie Taylor Greene or pounding on, um, um, oh, I forgot her name, um, Lauren Boebert. Um, while, while pounding on those people may seem, may feel good, it doesn't, it doesn't always help. The difficulty that I think we have is being able to have a conversation, a civilized conversation with somebody we really dislike, that we really disagree with, to, to, to still be able to have 
an intelligent conversation. Marjorie Taylor Greene does say a lot of things that are inflammatory and seem to be over the edge, but it's her point of view. And how we respond to that is going to also help determine her response. Because as she tries to insulate herself from any insults, she's going to become more hardline about the things that she is putting out there. Yes, we may find them objectionable, not only find them objectionable, but find them abhorrent. But there's a way to accomplish um, getting, the, getting the conversation back towards some, some form of civility. She was elected to office. So unless you can prove that the voting machines were rigged and that she didn't really have a big enough constituency to be voted into the United States Congress, take her seriously. We have a tendency to, to be dismissive of other people's ideas because we don't agree with them. And so I encourage us to not be dismissive and to spend more time realizing that everything that we do is a part of the negotiation of building a better society. Keep that in mind when you speak, when you open your mouth, how does that look to somebody else? Not just how does it look to you? I want to thank you very much for joining me this afternoon. I really do appreciate it. Please leave a comment if you get a chance. Um, I'd like to, to hear from folks. Uh, I will be back next week, and thank you very much. That concludes this episode of Altitude Adjustment, and thank you for listening. This podcast is streamed live on YouTube and Twitch.tv and is designed for listener interaction. Visit the website, thelionsdenstl.wixsite.com forward slash home to join the discussion. The audio version of Altitude Adjustment is available where you get your podcasts, including Stitcher.com, the iTunes Store, and the Google Play Music Store, to name a few. Remember that the internet is powered by your likes, shares, and comments. So please like, share, and comment on this and other episodes of Altitude Adjustment because it matters. And as always, look out for the other guy because they may not be looking out for you.